You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm Therese Boudreau, and with me today is Mark Mix, the president of the National Right to Work Committee. We'll be discussing his article about the possible repeal of Michigan's right to work protections and what Michigan citizens think of this issue. Mr. Mix, thank you so much again for joining us today. Well, it's my pleasure to be with you, and thanks for the opportunity to chat about this, and particularly on Hillsdale Free Radio. This is an exciting thing for me, so appreciate the opportunity. So, as the president of the National Right to Work Committee, could you explain what the right to work law in Michigan is and how it has helped Michigan residents over this past decade? Yeah, it's a really, really simple law. Uh, The right to work law that's on the books in 27 states, including Michigan, basically says that every worker has the right to join a union and participate in a union if they choose to do so, but no worker can be fired as a condition of employment. So how does not having this Michigan right-to-work law restrict the options for Michigan workers? Yeah, well, understanding labor policy, we have to go all the way back to the 1930s and the Roosevelt administration, when the federal government decided it was going to be their purview to take over kind of management, if you will, of labor relations in the private sector from the federal government. And so in 1933, Roosevelt uh, proposed a bill called the National Recovery Act, the National Recovery Act, and that passed the House and the Senate. It went to Roosevelt. He signed it, and it went. It was challenged, and the U.S. Supreme Court struck it down um, as kind of uh, an overstep by the federal government. Uh, but Roosevelt wouldn't give up, and so in 1935, he teed these basically the same issue up again. And this time, he sent a letter over to the Supreme Court saying that if they didn't uh, approve it, that he would be interested in packing the court, adding six new justices to the U.S. Supreme Court. So. Chief Justice Charles Evan Hughes uh, changed his vote, along with uh, Justice Owen Roberts changed his vote, and there was a majority of Supreme Court justices that said, okay, this federal impingement on individual contract as it relates to private sector labor management relations is now going to be under federal control. And so part of that bill was very simply a recipe for enormous powers for union officials. It gave them the ability to compel workers across the country to join labor unions as a condition of getting or keeping a job. And that joining a labor union means you had to pay union dues in order to work. And so from 1935 to 1947, the union movement grew exponentially. I mean, literally, they had uh, the federal uh, permission to basically force workers into private organizations in order to work in America. Well, after the elections of 1946, uh, when the Congress changed a little bit, They decided that they were going to reform some of this power, and they passed what's called the Taft-Hartley Act. And part of the Taft-Hartley Act, while it didn't do a whole lot to uh, thwart union power over workers, it basically gave states like Michigan the ability to pass a right-to-work law. And that right-to-work law says that we're not going to interfere with your voluntary choice to work in a union or associate with a union or pay union dues or try to unionize, but what we won't contemplate is the fact that you would be fired if you didn't pay dues or fees in order to work. So 27 states have those laws, and not only uh, the first, obviously, the first priority is individual freedom and individual rights and individual liberty when it comes to how you you know, relate to your property, i.e. your labor, and whether or not some private organization like a labor union can control that. I mean, we're, we have nothing against organizing labor unions, but we have a whole lot against compulsion and force as it's articulated in federal law. So 
You know, since 1947, as I mentioned, 27 states have passed right-to-work laws. And so the individual moral component is, is probably the most important. But the secondary component is the economic development and the economic opportunity that right-to-work laws create. And Michigan is probably one of the best case studies of how right-to-work has made a difference, not only in the lives of individual employees, but in the lives of citizens of Michigan, where growth and private sector job growth and manufacturing job growth has increased dramatically over the last 10 years since Michigan became a right-to-work law in 2013. Interestingly enough, uh, you know, union officials don't like that, and so they have mustered support in the legislature in Lansing to try to repeal the right-to-work law. In fact, a bill's been introduced to do just that, and uh, we're going to try to stop them, and we think the citizens of Michigan ought to try to stop them because the idea of individual freedom and increased economic opportunity and job growth and increasing wages is something that Michiganders lost for a decade prior to passage of right to work and have been one of the leaders in the country in new job growth and new manufacturing jobs since they passed the right to work law. You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. We're discussing the possible repeal of Michigan's right-to-work law with Mark Mix, the president of the National Right-to-Work Committee. As you cited in your article for the Detroit News, um, it looks like 74% of Michigan voters oppose repealing Michigan right-to-work law, which, for obvious reasons, as you just stated, it seems like, you know, given this widespread bipartisan opinion on this issue, people who are in labor unions, you know, mostly oppose it as well. How has this movement to repeal it gotten so much power when there's so much widespread opposition? Like, why is overturning this law, how is overturning this law even being considered at this point in time? Well, I I think probably you might hear a professor at Hillsdale talk about following the money when you're trying to figure out what's uh, some rational, uh, some kind of rational basis for uh, the things that government does. And in this case, organized labor understands that if they can force people to pay them for the privilege or for the right to work, it's a pretty big revenue stream for them. And we know this because unions spend anywhere from $2 billion to $12 billion every two years on elections. And the result of that is when your power is a derivative of government action, like it was in the 1930s, this means you have to play in elections and you have to play in government in order to maintain that power, if that's what your objective is. And certainly union officials don't like the idea that workers, the the individuals they claim to represent, can make a decision financially about whether or not the union is serving them. You know, this battle of right to work is really a battle between union officials and rank and file workers who may or may not agree with what the union is doing with their money. And again, Michigan serves as a tremendous case study of this particular point. You know, for the last several years, folks in Michigan have been reading about the corruption in the United Auto Workers Union. Uh, Thirteen or fourteen union executives have gone to jail for stealing money from rank and file workers and spending money on condominiums in Palm Springs and $400 bottles of champagne and $60,000 of cigars and all kinds of things, cash for golf clubs. And, and the FBI's raided the home of the past two international presidents of the UAW. Both of them are in jail or have been in jail. I don't know if they're out yet or not, but they were in jail for this abuse of the, the trust and the fiduciary responsibility they have with workers. And the reason why they can do that is because these workers were forced to pay them dues or fees in order to work. And so the accountability, the customer service, if you will, of the union, it doesn't have to even be a consideration for top union officials because they get the money anyway. So that's why right to work is really important in that regard. And that's why union households support right to work, because it's the only way, really, they can hold their union officials uh, accountable for their actions and basically serve them instead of the politicians in Lansing or Washington, D.C. 
that's what that's one of the most compelling reasons why union households i think in the poll that we did something like 60 percent or even more than that of union households support keeping the right to work law in place they may be very happy union members and they may you know claim the sisterhood and the brotherhood of, of union membership but they know that having that accountability, that, that ability to withhold their financial support if the union starts doing crazy things like the UAW did, and they were prosecuted by you know fe- federal prosecutors in Michigan. And again, you know they, these workers found out that these union officials, these top union officials, were selling them out uh, at the negotiating table and using their money for uh, a Cadillac lifestyle, if you will, that uh, unions couldn't hold them accountable unless they were in a right-to-work state. Um, and that, that's the opportunity they had to hold them accountable. Do you think that the Michigan right to work law will be overturned? And if that happens, hopefully not, but if that happens, what will be your organization's next steps forward, do you think? Yeah. Well, I was uh, in Detroit on Monday night talking with people that allegedly know what's happening in the legislature. And they said it's a million. You said, Mark, the right to work has a million and one, a million to one chance of saving the right to work law. So I like those odds. We're, we're going to fight. Liberty usually is up against odds like that, and freedom's usually against up against odds like that, uh, particularly in the overreaching power of government. Um, but we're going to fight it. We're going to fight it until uh, it's over, and uh, we need to hold every politician who would vote to force workers to pay union dues or fees in order to get or keep a job accountable one way or the other. I think we're going to win it. I think Michiganders are going to rise up. They're going to communicate with their legislators, their members of the House and members of the Senate, and they're going to tell them that individual freedom and right to work works in Michigan. It works for all employees, whether they want to be in a union or whether they don't. And so I think we're going to end up winning the battle. Uh, Governor Whitmer has indicated that she would be supportive and would sign a bill. Um, the good news is, I guess she didn't mention it in her state of the state address, uh, which I think people were looking for. Although I will say the Senate minority leader, majority leader immediately tweeted out the next morning saying, oh, don't worry, we haven't lost sight of repealing right to work. You know, I guess they're kind of one of the interesting stories, and I'm using my finger quotes when I say interesting, was that on the campaign trail, no one talked about repealing Michigan's right to work law. It was only after the votes had been counted that all of a sudden it was the top priority for the new legislature. Mm-hmm. You'd think a, a partisan makeup a Democrat majority who has been out of power for over 40 years in Michigan would basically think that there are other things more important to the state of Michigan and promoting their agenda than forcing workers back under the yoke of forced unionism. But that's what they think about because, as I mentioned earlier, it's about money and it's about political power. And, you know, politicians, once they get elected, the first thing they think about for the most part is how to get reelected. And they know if they tow the union line when it comes to forced unionism, they'll probably benefit from political contributions. I think we're going to win it. But the only way we can win it is if the people of Michigan sound off, raise their voice, and hold their politicians accountable. You know, that's the, that's the essence of this grand experiment in self-government, that we have to be educated and have to be informed and state and pay attention to what legislate, what those elected officials that we in this democratic republic loan our power to, to use it, whether in Lansing or whether in Washington. This is a republic. We loan it to them. And if they abuse it, we get to take it back. And so that's where we're going to be. Um, I don't know what our plans will be if they actually are successful in repealing it. I think we'll figure out a new way to fight for it and help employees. And, and, uh, and maybe, maybe, just maybe, if we hold enough politicians accountable, that a legislature will come back in and redo it. But I don't think we have to worry about that yet. They're going to have to repeal the bill first. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Mix. And thank you so much for the work that you do. Well, 
Thank you, and congratulations for being part of the Hillsdale community. That's a special place, and a special place that uh, that wants to preserve liberty and individual freedom and ordered systems of government. And uh, it's been a pleasure to, to get the imprimus each month and, and read about the great things that are happening at Hillsdale. So congratulations to you for being in a place that loves liberty and loves freedom and loves the American sense of the American system of government that is founded on these individual principles. You've been listening to Mark Mix on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. I'm Therese Boudreau, and we talked about the National Right to Work Law and discussing the possibility of its repeal. I'm your host, Therese Boudreau. Thanks again for listening to Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM.